calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Good morning, everyone. This is Van Winkle. And this is Virginia. And you're listening to the Homestead on the Corner Writing Podcast. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, it's been a while since we've done uh, a writing lesson episode. In fact, a little bit since we've done anything. So in case you're just coming back to us now because we finally put out a new episode on this feed after a couple of years. Welcome. Homestead on the Corner is still here. Uh, the format has just changed a little bit since mid-2020. If you weren't aware, Virginia and I have been producing two different shows uh, that are spinoffs of Homestead on the Corner, The Sheridan Tapes, which is now heading into its fourth and final season very, very quickly. Uh, as well as Tales of the Echo Wood, which we've produced one season, uh, as well as a special for, and more stuff is coming there soon. So Homestead on the Corner is still around, and we are still making a lot of stuff and doing a lot of writing. Virginia is now basically the other half of this creative partnership that is Homestead on the Corner, and we figured 2023 was as good a time as any to bring back the writing podcast, albeit in a slightly different format. I'm really excited that we're uh, excited and terrified that we are reviving all three podcast feeds at once this year, but <laughs> because no one can stop us, literally no one. <laughs> it's literally just up to us, so that's dangerous. Yeah. So what we'll be doing here is, in the past, Van Winkle did a series of writing lessons, which I still think are great. I actually benefited from them myself before we started working together on the Sheridan tapes. But as time passes and shows get made. I feel like there's an experiential kind of side that you get that informs a little bit like, oh, okay, here, here are some sort of basic lessons that I took and can teach to other people. But then here's the way that that writing process changes as a result of like working with my own methods and my own preferences. As turns out, writing, like a lot of other artistic disciplines, is yours to figure out and break the rules on and <laughs> do different things. And uh, this is why we're doing this. We're going to sit down and 
talk with each other about our backgrounds as writers, choices that we make in our writing. It's a little bit more of like a freeform discussion. Yeah, we're going to be talking with, uh, at, least, at least for this mini season, we're going to be doing uh, four different audio drama writers um, who we both very deeply admire um, and have been able to make contacts with uh, through our work on our other shows, uh, as well as people we just know kind of through Twitter, through social media and things like that, who we know are extraordinary writers. And we're going to bring them in and do interviews with all four of them, um, talking through their backgrounds as writers as well, their methodologies, their tastes and kind of how they approach writing. What I really want to do with this as opposed to the original writing lessons is to make this a little bit less prescriptive, a little bit less, here are the rules of writing. Here is, you know, the structure. Mm. Just because while the, you know, tenets of story structure and, you know, different, you know, paradigms of that are very useful and very helpful for, you know, and sometimes just for, you know, fixing a story when it's not quite, you know, coming together. I feel like there's a lot to be gleaned from just hearing writers talk about their process in a more freeform way, in a more... Mm-hmm a way that's more focused on their experience as a writer um, and how, what it is like to to tell stories. And, you know, in particular for a lot of the creators we'll be talking to, you know, long-form serialized stories. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be talking with a bunch of very cool people over the next few months, and we hope you all enjoy. But for now, we just kind of want to, in my case, reintroduce myself in Virginia's case, um, introduce herself um, <laughs> as writers uh, as creative people, as the team that is Homestead on the Corner now, and who will be talking to these creators, just so you can get a little bit of a baseline on who we are and what we what we make. All right. I feel like we should get into this. So Probably. I think that's enough preamble. <laughs> let's start off with you. As the originator of Homestead on the Corner, let's give a little refresh for the folks on what your background as a writer is like. How did you get started? I was trying to think this through earlier today, and I think this is the same answer I gave when I talked about this, you know, like in episode zero of this podcast. I feel like I've always been writing in one format or another since, like, I knew how. Um, I was always telling stories as a kid, whether that's, you know, writing little short stories and books, uh, you know, in school or in my own free time, or, you know, there's a brief period where I thought I really wanted to be a cartoonist and do, you know, cartoons or comic oh, books fun. for a living. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I have, I'm sure those are all tucked away in a drawer somewhere at my grandma's house, probably. Uh, and I dread to think what would happen if any of them were ever uh, dredged up from the depths. But um, <laughs> yeah, I've been, you know, telling stories in one format or another, you know, pretty much my entire life that turned into eventually, you know, making short and eventually not so short films with my friends and family through high school, which then turned into going to film school for four and a half years, uh, which then eventually turned into, you know, writing and self-publishing my first book, The Graceland Tales. And out of that came, you know, the early, early days of Homestead in the Corner and writing audio drama. Um, because I was so inspired by all the amazing work I saw in the medium. Amazing. Uh, for me, I I kind of like I relate to a lot of what you just said there because I was always finding different ways to uh, explore that like storytelling creativity. 
I do remember being in the first grade and having a particularly scary but intriguing dream one night where I was like climbing up a hill in the Pacific Northwest and it was sort of like a video game level where there were these like spiky scary obstacles in front of me like swinging in front of me or trying to stab me and I had to like rescue someone at the top and then run back down with them and like stylistically it was I, I know it was really inspired by one of my favorite movies at the time which was uh, A Little Princess um, the 90s version uh, anyway that's what my dream looked like and so I wrote this out on a piece of paper and at my school during like gym time, I just like, I taped it to the wall and I tried yelling at people to come read it. So <laughs> really that's what I do now in a sense is I, I yell at people to come read my nightmares. Um, the, the RSS feed is, is just the wall you've taped your nightmares yeah. to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Excellent. And I just loved like making my family laugh and telling stories and writing like in high school I had some benign writing assignment that I I didn't have to do this no one was asking for this I turned in like a 90 page Lord of the Rings spoof <laughs> to my English teacher and she tried so hard not to crush my spirit as she accepted it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so there's like a bunch of points where I've just been like, please look at me <laughs> in my writing. Um, and look then I went I to I school. <laughs> look at what I made. I went to school originally for theater performance and then um, took a break after four years, eventually finished through English and creative writing. And then a couple of years after that point is uh, when I met Van Winkle. And here we are now. I've done like, I don't know, little bits of writing in the meantime, but this is the first thing where I've really felt like, oh my God, this feels so good to work on. That is amazing. And I love how things have lined up that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) So what is the story that made you want to be a writer and why did it make you want to be a writer? I have a couple of answers on this, I think. First one that comes to mind is the original Star Wars trilogy. That was, at the very least, the series of movies that made me want to be a filmmaker or at least some kind of, you know, person who makes things uh, creatively for a living, just largely because um, when I was about 10 or 12-ish, my dad purchased the you know special edition box set of the of all three films which came with the empire of dreams documentary which was this massive i think slightly longer than feature length um documentary on the making of the original trilogy from you know initial conception writing through production and post-production um and i was always fascinated by that i watched that over and over and over again and it was kind of the first time it really clicked i think that oh there's you know creative people, you know, writers behind these movies that I watch, these stories that I enjoy, and they're just kind of, they're normal people. They can do, I can do this. Oh, okay. Um, I want to do this for the rest of my life um, in one form or another. Another big inspiration is uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm -hmm. Uh, The movies initially, um, because I did end up watching the movies before I read the books, um, but the books afterwards, um, just the idea of a big, fascinating, sprawling, emotionally complex story like that, um, mm-hmm. that was just so inspiring to see as like a young writer in, you know, in training basically, um, just what is possible in a long form story, um, the levels of complexity and realism and emotional depth and symbolism and everything just, um, really made a big impression on me at a young age. Um, and then this is the slightly cringe answer, but um, <laughs> the um, the storyline for the Lego toy series Bionicle. Um, oh, I was not expecting that. This is great. Hear me out. Hear me out. Uh, it has informed a lot of like my um, storytelling sensibilities in terms of like multi-layered long-form storytelling with lots of really intricate and rewarding you know twists and secrets and things to discover in a you know a really interesting kind of genre mashup world that you know is just entirely its own thing and you know I I just (laughs) I read all of the comics I read all of the books through like you know a large portion of the 10 years that toy line was running yeah, I <laughs> that that has a has had a huge influence on me um and like the way I tell stories and the stories I enjoy. So um yeah, I'm just I'm just going to throw that in there as another reason why um I am this way. <laughs> Amazing. I I do feel that that really encapsulates you as a person in many ways. Uh <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense to me. Yep. <laughs> um for me, I I have to like 
think back on the moments in my life where I felt this like unquenchable little light bulb that turns on at certain points in my life where I remember feeling like, oh my God, you can you can just make up a thing like this. Like it's like this little little thing of permission that comes alive mm-hmm. in me. And I remember feeling that for, um, gosh, I must have been in early middle school. I read uh, the Chronicles of Pridane series by Lloyd Alexander, which is like where the story of the Black Cauldron comes from. Oh, okay. I don't, I'll have to revisit these. I don't remember if there was anything specifically about like why it made me feel so excited, but there was something about the world building and the characters and the way that it was told that it just it made me feel like I was there and it made me want to write something like that and then basically right after that was Lord of the Rings also for me um and I think I remember reading the books right away and then seeing the movie so that was kind of concurrent for me well it took like until I was almost out of high school for the series to conclude you get what I mean yeah but I yeah that just completely rotted my brain in the best way (laughs) Lord of the Rings did. I was so obsessed. I had a giant Mm. folder of things that I printed out from the onering.net that I loved, (laughs) like recipes and like photos of uh, the characters and fan art and um, how to speak Elvish. And I watched the extended versions of the movies with a notebook open and subtitles on, and I hand wrote my own copies of these scripts. (laughs) Uh, I was in it. I was deeply in it. I even went by Sam in high school because me and my friends all picked a nickname from the fellowship to go by. I'm really revealing a lot right now. You picked the best character, so. (laughs) And it it meant a lot to me because my friends were like, oh, that would make sense for you. And I'm like, oh, thank you. What I really love about Lord of the Rings is there is so much affection between friends in that series. Mm. Uh, and there was even a, uh, I think this was in, in Vulture or something like that, an article that um, this writer, Molly Ostertag, wrote about queerness in Lord of the Rings. Mm, and like, yeah. that that article just put so many things together for me of like, why did I like this story particularly? And those are, those are my main inspirations. And it just made me want to write something like that that made other people feel excited to be alive. So, yeah, yeah. So our next question here is getting into it. Do you plot out your stories before you start writing or do you just let it happen? (laughs) It's a little bit of a mix for me usually. Um, These days I tend to be much more, you know, plot my stories out beat by beat, really get it figured out before I get started writing. That's largely because of just how much writing I have to do um, like every year to make these, you know, make my parts of the Sheridan tapes and Tales of the Echo would happen without an outline. I'll just get lost and spiral and the series won't get made. But at the very start of the Sheridan tapes, um, which I've talked about before, which is, you know, a massive four season, 100 episode, you know, mystery. I didn't know where the hell it was going. Um, I just started writing some, you know, I had the framing device of, Sam Bailey looking for a disappeared Anna Sheridan, and she left behind a bunch of spooky tapes. Um, But I was writing it just pure anthology then, just throwing ideas at the wall um, and just, you know, not even outlining the individual episode, just like, hmm, I want to do an episode about a creepy house full of mirrors. Uh, Let's just do that and just, you know, straight writing it, pantsing my way through, um, (laughs) you know, the first about 10 scripts or so. 
you know, eventually, though, I did like, okay, I need to figure out what the solution to this mystery is very quickly, because um, I'm about halfway through season one, and I don't really know. Um, I need to figure out, you know, how this season is going to wrap up, and then how we're going to go into, like, some more seasons, because people seem to like this. And then eventually, you know, largely when Virginia, you know, arrived on the scene, uh, and we were, you know, working on the same series together, we're like, okay, we need to you know, specifically plot out, break down the yeah. season into what happens in each individual episode so we, like, don't get lost when it's two different people uh, and a few other, you know, co-writers making this series. We need to make sure there's an outline steering the ship. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of carried over into even the things I write, you know, myself now. Although, you know, I have, I think a lot of the times what I do is I get started on a story on kind of, vibes and a vague notion of like where this should start and then figure out an outline once I'm a couple of chapters or a couple of episodes in and then you know outline as much as I can while I'm still writing uh, is usually the way it ends up going for me so it's a little bit of a mix of both um Mm. yeah yeah for me I uh my short stories that I've written have mostly been just like, let's see where this goes like not really a lot of planning but definitely for something like the Sheridan tapes it's like yeah, we're going to need to plot this out because there's two writers working on it, because there's a lot of characters, because there's specific moments we need to hit at certain times. Honestly, from there, like wherever there is room to sort of just let something happen, I I really like doing that. Like uh, in episode 69, I knew I was going to write a horror story about a clown and an ice cream truck and something sort of inevitable crashing in on this character. I didn't really know where I was going and I just kind of like let the the vibes take me away mm. and then I try to also channel that energy when I can in like the dialogue scenes because mm. I think if you know where you need to end up or vaguely where you need to end up but you like still letting yourself be free to kind of mm-hmm. see what wants to happen there and I feel like that's a nice way to channel that energy when you have yeah. to be very meticulous yeah I think like for dialogue like you really I feel like having like a li- little bit more of a free flow approach to it does yeah. help it, you know, it feel more natural just knowing though where you like need to build to um, or, you know, the end of the scene, what the energy, you know, kind of is that you need to carry on into the rest of the, the story from there or what you end on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that dialogue tends to be, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't block out every single line of dialogue. Um, no, that sounds writing. like hell. Yeah. And sometimes, like, the characters end up revealing something that you're like, oh, that's actually a better and stronger choice. And, yeah. Especially when we've been writing the same set of characters with a few additions, you know, Mm -hmm. for a couple of seasons now. Um, Yeah. So our next question here is, what's one mistake that you've made with your writing? Or what's your biggest struggle as a writer? Yeah. And this kind of goes back to my approach to plotting versus pantsing. Um, The second act of my stories they tend to drag quite a lot um, sometimes. I've gotten better at it, I think, um, but I do sometimes tend to get a little bit lost in the middle of my stories and just kind of go in circles for a while until, oh, we're at the midpoint now, let's make this actually interesting. I really feel that was the case with The Graceland Tales. I feel like books two and three of, you know, which are, you know, basically the act two of that story really, really kind of go nowhere um, for Mm many, many pages, uh, and then eventually book four comes around like, oh, now we, we're back to actually moving this story forward. You know, I, I feel the same way about 
you know, while I love all of the Sheridan tapes for different reasons and season two was absolutely necessary, I think, for the story as a whole, I feel like it does end up dragging a little bit, mm. um, especially kind of in the early part of the season before we get to the big reveal, which I won't spoil in case you haven't listened. Um, but there is a big reveal that kind of kicks the story back into high gear. And I think, yeah, I think that's my biggest struggle is, you know, because I tend to get that's that's usually the point I tend to get to before I start really outlining or it might just be my own sensibilities as a writer and the fact that I tend to structure around a a big midpoint reveal like I tend to have fairly strong like introductions and first acts um and then like the first part of season uh sorry of act two tends to be a little bit directionless I feel Mm. um that's what I struggle with a lot Mm. I feel like I struggle the most with, I think, like, I don't know whether it's initiation or momentum or a combination of both, but basically, basically, I struggle with my ADHD the most in my writing. And the only way that I found to get through that is to just keep talking about it and to be honest about it uh, and to find whatever little ways I can to just sort of try and shake that energy off. Yeah. And... I'm, I'm being this frank about it because I think like, well, I mean, it's good to be very honest about like, I, I am doing this job and I don't know everything about this job and I still struggle a lot with it, but I love it so much. And I want anyone who is listening to this, who like is scared to do it because they feel like they have the same hangups. Like, don't be, don't be afraid if, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I'm very much still learning, hope to get much better at like, you know, giving myself the resources I need to learn and grow, of course. Um, Anyway, yeah, my biggest struggle is just honestly making myself do it. And working with Van Winkle has been amazing for that, actually, because um, they move so fast that like I have to. So like, I feel like they really speed it up. I tend to slow it down where we need to, to like, this is too much or we need more time for this thing or so i feel like it's a it's a good push and pull it's a that. balancing act yeah but like yeah like i i really really value the trusting like accountability that we have that it really gives me the space to have the feelings and freak out a little bit but also get really excited because we have really good conversations about stories and things yeah. that could happen i can take that excitement and immediately turn it into writing and that's really really valuable um it's honestly like i i have tried so many times to work on writing that is just for me in the meantime and i have a harder time with that because it's not filled with the same sort of like excited conversation and planning and all of that because it all has to come from me so i am still trying to figure out how to do that that part of it uh i'm working through it i i have made so much more writing than I really ever thought I would and I'm just very very pleased and I've definitely proven to myself that I can do it so it's like yeah that fear isn't there so much like I know I can do it so now I'm just figuring out how to get into it more trust myself more break through that uh writer's block more often so yeah and I've been very frank about it as well um talking about the early days of the Sheridan tapes and starting a series I had no idea how to structure or pace. Um, mm. I, I have said many times I had no idea what the hell I was doing um, when starting the show, and I have a better understanding of it now. But you know, I I think it's very important, like you said, to be to be honest about shortcomings as a writer and be willing to to learn and be teachable, which is you know 
a big reason why we're doing this and we're going to be talking to a bunch of people that we mm-hmm. admire and who probably know a little bit more than we do um yeah and we would you know can't wait to learn from them along with everyone listening hopefully 100 percent. so what what makes you feel that a story is worth telling and how do you know it's ready to share i love this question <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i think what for me really locks in the like the feeling and the impression um, and the conviction, I think is the big thing that like for getting a story off the ground um, that it's ready is when you start thinking about it or you know, if you're in a partnership having conversations with who you're working with or even just conversations about your story with you know friends who are writers as well and you start really thinking about it and really breaking it down and you start finding kind of those weird kind of alignments of themes and characters mm. and ideas that get you really, really excited. Like, oh God, this, if you pay, and your brain just starts going like that. Uh, and you just feel the need to write this now. Um, like when things just start lining up on their own and becoming more than like the sum of the thoughts you've originally put into it. I feel that's when the story is begging to be told. Um, mm. That's the way I feel about it. And then how do you know when it's ready? Um, a lot of the times, um, especially with the way we put out, you know, <laughs> stories on a deadline, it's it's as good as I can make it um, with the time that I have. Um, Honestly, there's a, yeah. there's a a great quote from um, Neil Gaiman um, from his Rules on Writing or uh, Rules on Writing, which um, I definitely recommend you check it out. It's been my desktop background for like six years now. Um, I can't remember the exact quote, but it is something like "Put it down eventually." Be- before it's finished, it will have to be done. Um, mm. And, you know, it's a matter of like, am I proud of this? Um, is this something I feel okay with uh, and proud of, you know, putting out to the world, having my friends and the people I know read or listen to it? And do I not like see any immediate like flaws or breaking points in it? Um, I think that's when I feel like it's ready to to be shipped out. Um mm. Basically, very similar answer to you. Like, I think if a story is exciting to me, like if I've spent enough time with it and have like actually let myself feel my way through it so that whatever I'm writing is like true to me and and the things that I feel like are inside of me. I think that's how I know it's worth telling. Like, uh, yeah, if it's if it's exciting to you, that's how you know, because Mm -hmm. nobody else has your perspective, your history, your words and that is interesting to people. We know that's interesting to people because there's so many stories like that where it's somebody just writing from their exact perspective and it's like, wow, that is fascinating. You, you are the best judge of if a story is worth telling. How do you know it's ready to share? Yeah, <laughs> deadlines. Um, <laughs> deadlines help, honestly, because like I feel like I would ruminate way too long otherwise. It sort of puts a fire under my ass to finish a thing. I think I am learning to be comfortable with that feeling that something isn't quite where I want it to be, but I don't know why or how, because I think that feeling is really useful for being able to take that tension into the next thing that you write and be a little more curious, maybe. I don't know if if a feeling of full satisfaction is even a realistic outcome when you write a thing. I don't think any writer has ever felt that about any piece of writing. Yeah, because life is never like that either. So why would writing be like that? Uh, Mm -hmm. There was even a a script of mine um, 
oh yeah, it was, it was episode 69, which is actually, I'll be <laughs> reading a bit from that later. Um, ironically, when it was done, I like, I remember on our patron podcast, I spent a lot of time being like, I just feel like there's something missing from it. And we kept talking about it. And I realized that's because that was the feeling I was supposed to be left with from the way the episode was written. And I was yep. like, oh, wait, maybe I did what I was supposed to do then. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, there was nothing missing from that episode. Episode 69 is incredible. Um. Thank you. Um, so that's, I think that's kind of my point though is like maybe what you're looking for is a feeling of like absolute perfection and I don't think that's necessarily supposed to be in writing like that's absolute perfection is is a feeling that you get from documentation or like mm -hmm. a how-to manual I don't know if you really get that from stories like yeah you'll always be left with a little ache yeah the end goal of creativity is not perfection I don't think I think mm -hmm. it's honesty yes well, it seems like we're kind of getting to the last little bit here, which I'm really excited about. It's to share a favorite quote or excerpt from your own work and then talk about why do you like it so much? Uh, I like this question because it feels a little uncomfortable, I think, to be like, okay, what do you really like of your own writing? But I think it's important to be able to talk about because why else would you write if you didn't like what you were writing? So <laughs> it's just, it's an opportunity to, to flex a little bit and to talk about what you're proud of yourself, I guess. So we're going to do that. Yeah, um, the quote I picked is from the very first B-side that we did for the Sheridan Tapes. It was an episode called Heart, and it was Sam Bailey kind of reminiscing on his own past and his history with love and loss and grief and dealing with all of those emotions and you know learning to live with them in many ways and my favorite quote is from the very end of the episode um after sam has just talked about like how he's lost you know his parents and his grandma and his partner and has felt alone his whole life and this is kind of the, the crux of the episode so the quote is in referring to the idea that um, happy endings aren't possible in a world where death exists. But I don't think it has to. I don't believe that the ending has to be, or, or even should be, happy ever after. It doesn't even need to be happy at the end. It just needs to be happy sometimes it just has to be happy enough from time to time and the little moments and the times we really remember and this quote really i'm so proud of it still um, i was so proud of it when i wrote it throughout my life i've struggled with uh, a lot of depression and mm. just feeling very alone for many, many years, feeling like I couldn't connect to other people in a meaningful way, feeling very isolated and sad a lot of the times. And really, this was kind of like a a big kind of, no, that doesn't define me, um, just because, you know, things can be really, really shitty for long periods of time. That doesn't mean that, you know, life is without value or that, you know, it doesn't discount the good moments in life, the friendships and the partnerships and the relationships we have with each other. Those are the things I think that really stick with us. And it just was just kind of like a quote that I feel like I needed to hear when I was younger. Yeah, it was really, really, really powerful for me to write that. 
I do love that quote. I feel like it's it just speaks to the beauty of like if you're sort of in a panicky place feeling like this isn't going right, this isn't going like people say it's supposed to, just hearing that like clawing your way out of that into little beautiful moments as they come is good and it's mm. good enough. Like that's that's amazing. I feel like that's such a like if you struggle with uh perfectionist tendencies like I definitely do that's also really good to hear like there is no universe where everything is good all the time where everything's perfect all the time and you just need to throw that out (laughs) and embrace beautiful moments as they come and remember them and yeah I just love how you wrote that how about you Virginia oh boy um This is from episode 69. Um, It's a part after this big emotional blow up with Ren where he issues this ultimatum, like you need to be on board or you need to leave. And it really, it brings a lot out of our characters suddenly. And then there's this long scene that cuts between uh, Bill and Rob having a conversation in one room and Kate and Peter having a conversation in the other room trying to decide like, what are we going to do? And through love, they each decide to do a completely different thing. And then there's this scene with Kate and Peter where Kate this whole time has been too afraid to ask Peter for what she really wants, which is just to know her family is safe and to be connected to them, but to be focused on finding Anna. And she's felt a lot of guilt about like, oh, I can't leave my family behind too long or like, oh, they need to be here with me. And it's like at the point where it's like, it's just too dangerous for them to be here. I never wanted to be a burden. You have never, ever been a burden. I was waiting for you to ask. My only dream is us. All of us. That means I have all the time in the world to make sure we all get what we need. Wait. No. No. I want you to ask, Kate. I can't. This is too big. I miss Mother. I I need to be with you with Andrew. Ask. Peter. Katie. I need you to... I need you to take Andrew up to Toronto for a while. Stay with your Aunt Ruth until... Until this is over. Oh, God, this hurts. I know. I love you. I love you, too. I can't promise you everything's going to be okay, but if it isn't, you'll be the first to know. Promise? Promise. I'll keep in touch as much as I can. I'm going to find Anna. I'm going to figure out how to stop what she saw from happening. Me and... Whoever else stays. And when that's done... And when that's done, we'll go back home. To Iowa. Or maybe we won't. But wherever we go, we'll be together. And we'll plant a garden. I love this bit because I think... I just think it's beautiful to see this very anxious character, Kate, finally make peace with all of the sides of herself that 
that coexist and not exactly in a way where all of those sides get exactly what they want, but in a way where she's like, she drops a lot of the anxiety and sort of takes responsibility for her choices again. And Peter gets to feel scared. And Peter has been like a, a rock of support this whole time. And I just, it's a, it's a very short little moment, but I do have a particular soft spot for the idea of like, maybe we'll go back home, maybe you won't, but wherever we go, I will be with you and we'll plant a garden. And just the idea of like, and we'll plant a garden makes me emotional because yeah. I feel like so much, uh, I'm, I won't get into it, but like so much of my personal life has changed in the past few years and just being able to write something like that, that like the assurance that like, we don't need to be anywhere in particular, but like at some point in the future, it's going to be settled and we'll start planting seeds for something quieter, longer term. Like, oh, that gets me. That gets yeah. me right in the gut. Also to bring this full circle, your uh, Samwise Gamgee is showing. Oh my God, exactly. <laughs> right? Yes, that's exactly what's happening here is <laughs> I've never let go of Sam Gamgee. Um that's my little bit. Um, if either of these excerpts are brand new to you, may I invite you to listen to the Sheridan tapes? <laughs> um, we chose some very heartwarming moments uh, when it's uh, there's some there's some terrifying moments in the show as well. It's uh, it's a mix of horror and heartwarming. Mm -hmm. Well, that's our show, and uh, what we'll be doing at the end here with our guests is uh, saying, like, well, where can we find you? What what, what what, have you worked on? Where can people listen to your stuff? And uh, if you're listening to this, you probably already know, but you can find us on social media. I'm Virginia Spots on Instagram and also on Twitter. I think there's an underscore in the middle of my names on Twitter. That's where you can find me. And then uh, Van Winkle. Yeah, you can find me uh, at VW underscore ETC, Van Winkle, etc. on both Twitter and Instagram. Everything else you want to find about what we make, you can find on homesteadonthecorner.com. That's where all of our stuff lives mostly, although that's hard to say with podcasting because it goes everywhere. It does. Thank you for joining us. I hope you gleaned something encouraging or insightful maybe uh entertaining from this little time with both of us and we so look forward to bringing you the uh, entertainment and laughs and wisdom and heartfelt stories from the people we will be bringing onto the podcast uh later so we'll have three more episodes of interviews with other people um a bunch of really fun creators from the audio drama and podcasting space mm -hmm. so look forward to that uh and in the meantime yeah check out our other shows tales of the echo wood the sheridan tapes uh wherever you get your podcasts take care of yourself everyone we'll see you soon i'm van winkle and i'm virginia and you're listening to homestead on the corner
Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my two wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I'm hoping to open up the conversation about balancing careers and family. The one thing I constantly hear successful people say, without fail, is that they wish they'd spent more time with their kids. That's time no one can get back. So I decided to create Business Dad to engage in the conversation about how we're spending our time now, providing a forum for successful dads to share their joys and challenges of being a working parent. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier. And while this podcast will talk about business and will definitely be featuring dads, I think everyone can learn something from these incredible conversations as we unpack the expectations we all have about careers, relationships, and ourselves. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.